How's everybody doing? So I talk very loud. I already warned him that he's going to have to turn this mic down. <laughs> I usually probably should move this down a little bit. Is this okay? Am I too loud? All right, so I have a real quick favor before I begin because I'm a little nervous and I like to get kind of started by just doing some informal stuff. Who here is a really good photographer? Anybody takes pictures? Anybody wants to be a good photographer? Now you've got a big camera here. You? I have a, you, will you do me a favor? Can you take pictures while I'm talking so I can actually get a, a recording of this with, my, with this and just, just real quickly? I'm much heavier these days and just make sure you get the right angle so I don't look like this way, bad. This way is good. I will try to stand at a good angle. And make sure you give that back to me because it's my favorite camera. <laughs> so um, just for those of you uh, who don't know who I am and whatnot, I'll just give you the short one minute version. Um, I've been designing software for roughly about 21 years, 20 years or so. And uh, back when I was a, kind of a young kid or, or whatever, I had the, uh, the fortunate, uh, fortune, fortune, good fortune to um, work at Adobe. So back in the day, I worked on Photoshop, Illustrator, and InDesign. And I'm the guy who uh, basically did the creative suite back at Adobe back in the day. So for some of you, that might be good. But for the rest of you, you probably don't like a lot of the things that are going on. I haven't been there in a while, so you know. Uh, it, but it's part of, my, part of my heritage. I also worked on uh, Adobe Lightroom as well and did a bunch of internet companies and whatnot. Had my own design consultancy for about five years. And by the way, if I'm talking too fast, I apologize. I'm the crazy American. Um, and then uh, about a year ago, uh, I joined Yahoo with some, a friend of mine who was there, asked me to come there and, and, and help them uh, change uh, some of the products. So I took over what's called the communications team, and that includes Yahoo Mail and Messenger. So over my career, I've done small startups. I've done the big company. I had my own consultancy for about five years and so. I've learned a lot of different things, I think, about uh, how to make design work in the various situations. And when I joined Yahoo, um, I told myself I was going to not do it wrong this time. So I was going to do everything right. And that's what this talk is, is going to be about. Uh, just real quickly, for those of you who actually care about these sorts of things, just to prove I am who I say I am, my name is sitting right there. So my name is no longer on the splash screen. You can all feel sorry for me. Um, but yeah, so. Back in the day, working on Photoshop was, was a great experience, and, and uh, I was very, very fortunate. So I'm going to cover um, six things that I think help large. So I, first, real quickly, how many of you work in large corporations? And how many are you in small consultancies or design shops? So that's a little bit more. So for, so those, of you who, for those of you in the small design shops, how many of you have worked either in a large company or four large companies. So I think hopefully this will resonate for a lot of you. Um, I've kind of learned six different things, I think, that have, a, have impacted getting design to actually work at the large corporations. Uh, a lot of people always say, if you're at a big company, you can't make things move. It's too slow. Decisions are, are slow. There's too much um, kind of molass, molasses. It's just you kind of get stuck. And that's largely true. but I. I think there's a couple of things that, that I've, I've learned over, over my career that, that have um, helped that, help you get through that. And at Yahoo over the past year, I've been incorporating these things. And I'm just going to explain those, those, six, those six things for you real quickly. Well, hopefully not too quickly. So one of the things that um, I've noticed as a trend in my career, 
was that every major project that I've ever started, um, every redesign, every new product, uh, always started with one thing that kind of kickstarted and got the executives, the product managers, even the engineers, really, really engaged in, and, uh, and, and getting into it. And it's pictures. So I've always found that everything that I've done always starts off with a picture. Largely because, you know, we're the designers, and, and I've discovered that when you try to describe what you want to do to somebody who is not kind of a creative thinker, sometimes they can get it, but sometimes they have a hard time. But the moment you show them a picture, if it's a good picture, they'll catch it instantly. So this screenshot here was one of the screenshots that I did a long time ago when I was uh, working on Illustrator, making Illustrator part of the Creative Suite. I'm not going to go into it. I, I unfortunately didn't keep all those drawings. I left them on my machine at Adobe, and it's somewhere sitting in the servers back at Adobe at some place, and I can't grab them. I kind of wish I could. But one of the things that got the Creative Suite started was literally um, three pictures. The first one was Photoshop, drawn in a, in a kind of modified way that it was. The second one was Illustrator. So here, Illustrator used to have all these different kind of palettes and whatnot. And I did a concept sketch where Illustrator was using tab palettes and it was laid out in a more similar fashion as Photoshop was. And then I did the same thing with PageMaker. So that was about three months into my job at Adobe. This is back in 1995. Those three pictures bought me the ability to actually get the project started. So every project I've ever worked on has always, always started with a picture. And I don't mean like a rough sketch. I don't mean the things that we always do all the time, you know, this kind of stuff. These things are great for design thinking and whatnot, but a fully rendered picture, whether it's going to be the final picture or not, in my experience is what's, what's, what's got things going. The reason for that, from my, my point of view, is that a picture kind of makes you accountable. Whether it's going to be the final version of the product or not, when you sit down and you render the idea and you take the time and effort to do that, whether it's a couple of days or a week, preferably not like a month, but if you sit down and actually draw out what you're looking to do, even though you know that 12, 12 months out, it's not going to be the same thing, that gets you the, the accountability. And quite frankly, um, having been in uh, kind of running my own business and now you know, being part of a, of a big company that makes hundreds of millions of dollars uh, on this kind of stuff, you have to kind of show some respect, I think, to the executives and the people that you work for. This is especially true in consultancies and, and creative agencies. I think you learn this lesson pretty fast. But whoever's giving you the money, whoever's going to, you know, and approving your project is giving you money. In, in my opinion, they actually, they actually deserve the, that amount of work, that amount of upfront work to show that you're going to do, do right by the money that they're giving you. So that's been one of the, the key things uh, for all the projects that I've started, um, that I've learned, is always start with a picture. To that point, you have to trust, and we... We all hopefully know this as designers. You have to trust that what you start with is not going to be what you finish with. So even though you're going to spend the time doing a picture, you have to just know that you're going to iterate. iterate. You're going to you know, go through the exercises and the processes around design, and what you end up with will look nothing like the initial rendering. Um, if it does, by the way, if you take that initial picture, and then you look at that picture at the end of the project, and it looks the same, you're probably doing it wrong, just so we're clear. Um, does anybody know this is the James Dyson vacuum cleaner? So real quickly, as a, as a sh uh, see if anybody knows this, does anybody know how many different iterations Dyson went through before he finally arrived at the final vacuum cleaner uh, design? 
He's still not there. Well, you be quiet. <laughs> anybody, anybody? Anybody want to take a guess? Over 100? Over 1,000? Keep going. This, the number is 5,217. He went through 5,000 different iterations of the design before he finally arrived at the one he liked. So what he started with was nothing like what he finished with. So I'm going to show you real quickly, um, uh, just real quickly. And by the way, I, this is not being recorded, correct? Um, if I say anything, just please don't Twitter it too much because I actually might get in trouble back in the United States. <laughs> just keep it on the down low. Um, the PR people know that I'm giving this talk. They know I'm showing you some stuff. But uh, you're going to be one of the first groups of people that I've shown some of the work that we've done at Yahoo very briefly. Um, anyway, so does everybody know what this is, I presume? This is the what's called the Yahoo Mail Classic. It's been around for a long time, <laughs> and it kind of looks like it. Um, so this is the current Yahoo Mail Classic. They did a, try to do a redesign, um, which was this one. And this one is, uh, was a code name called Candygram. So if I say that, that's what that refers to. It's Yahoo Mail new. Uh, so this was the, the challenge that I was, I was given. So I took over the team. And uh, the challenge was, how do you take these two products that people use today and, and, and uh, redesign them? So following the pictures part, I'm going to show you a screenshot that I personally did. I did it in two hours, by the way. Just, just be kind. Did it very, very fast. Part of the challenge, though, for, for uh, Yahoo Mail is that it's built on old code back, you know, some of the stuff in Yahoo Mail Classic is like 1998 markup, uh, 2001 markup in some cases. Um, disparate code bases, when they did the new design, they kind of fractured the user base. So the problem was that you've got, you know, 300 million people, half of which are using uh, the old Yahoo Mail and half of which are using the new one. And trying to innovate and trying to add new things becomes nearly impossible because you did it twice and, and whatever. So I did a real quick concept sketch. Just what does it look like if you take, God, that looks ugly. Um, what, if you do, what would it look like if you take the classic version and the new version and just start to use the same controls and try to use the same layout, same colors, you know, just trying to see if you can, you can effectively um, make a product that could actually appeal to both audiences and also use the same markup and use the same design pieces. Uh, so that was the first sketch. This was done in like a night. Like I said, both these were done in like two or three hours. It was very, very fast. However, both of these sketches you know, gave me permission for the folks that were, you know, in charge over there to actually kick off a redesign of Yahoo Mail. Because, like, you know, just even showing this when they were used to this was something that they couldn't see before. From there, we did a quick iteration, you know, did some more kind of sketching. Nothing fancy, nothing great. Still the ads there, all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to even get into that. Um, and so, you know, we iterated on that. And then finally, after about seven months of, of work, We've arrived at this. So this is the new Yahoo Mail that's going to be coming out in a, and I'm supposed to say, I'm supposed to say shortly. I'm not allowed to say actually when. Um, but as you can see, everything that's in here is vastly different than everything you've seen before. But by doing even something as quick and rough and dirty as this, I was given permission to actually take on the project. And I know through the course of design that what you arrive at will always look different. So that's just lesson number one. In my opinion, pictures is where you start. And you have to have faith that as you go through the process, it will look different. So it's OK to actually draw something that's fully rendered, no matter how good or bad it is, because that, that's, what, that's what gets you started on every project that, that, that you do, in my opinion. So the next one is busy work. 
Busy work is death. So what is busy work? Well, so the first thing you have to do is you have to eliminate as much busy work as humanly possible with big corporations. Big corporations are about organizations and management, and there's lots of process, lots of paperwork, lots of steps you have to follow. Your goal, in my opinion, when you work at a large company, is you have to find ways of eliminating as much of it as humanly possible. So I define busy work as design deliverables. Those are things like specs, red lines. That's like a typical red line where people draw the callouts. Um, those are design deliverables that will never appear in the final product. They're only useful for you or for your team. More importantly, when you go through the process of design, from the research phases to the sketching phases to the mock-up phases to the prototyping phases to the build phases, everything the design team generates, whether it be documentation or whatnot, in my opinion, if, the if it doesn't find a way to go from one to the next to the next to the next, if it doesn't evolve or grow through the system, that's busy work. If you create a research document that stops, it doesn't live on. You don't measure against it. You don't test it. You don't bring it back into, into, the, uh, into the flow of your process. You've just created busy work because it stopped at the research phase. The research and the documentation has to find a way to evolve through the entire system. So red lines are huge busy work. They, they've, like, they've inundated everything that a lot of designers do. So one of the things that we did on, uh, on the design team for Yahoo was I told the designers, no more red lines. We are not doing them. So if you want to change a color, you're going to actually open up the CSS file, and you're going to change the color that goes into the final production CSS that goes on the servers. Um, specs. We still do lightweight specs, but they don't spend lots of time at their computer making documents that you know, get read maybe once, maybe twice, if they're lucky. Because once they make that document, they have to constantly keep updating it. So we replaced a lot of our specking with prototyping. Um, we still do some specking. But one of your goals is you have to find ways to eliminate busy work. And as I just said, busy work is effectively the death of, the, the death of design. Um, this is uh, the pictures that I kind of use to, to explain things. I don't want you to make, on my, if you work on my team, I don't want you to make stuff that just goes into storage. That's, that's not very useful in my opinion. Um, so one of the ways that you can tell if your design deliverable, deliverables are busy work besides whether it actually makes it into the final product is this rule. Um, if you make a document and it goes onto some server and you have to search for it, whether it be a search query or if you have to pass links around to the team, if people have a hard time finding it, it might as well not exist. So you have to also find ways that you have to get your design deliverables out in the open. So as a consultancy one of the, at my design agency, we used to make large posters. I love posters. I still love printing stuff. Large posters, print them on the wall. If you walk by our design area at Yahoo, all of our work is up on these big posters out in the hallway so that as the executives walk by, they can see what we're doing. Whenever we update and change things, we re reprint the posters. And it also has the nice effect that it keeps the design team remembering what they're trying to do. So you've got to find ways of getting stuff off your computers and getting it out into the world and getting it into the environment that you work, with, that you work in. So busy work. Definitely must eliminate it and replace it with things that will actually allow your design work to evolve through the entirety of the system to, from start of an idea to when it ships. The third thing, and by the way, I'm going to try to get through these slides pretty quickly because I'd actually like to take questions. <laughs> uh, the third thing, collaboration. Now, this one is probably the, the biggest one that I've learned in, in my careers. So part of what I was finding fascinating working for Yahoo for the, for the past year 
is I wasn't doing as much design in the product because I have a team of about 20 people. I was doing more trying to figure out how to design the design team. It's like, how do I get these designers to do the right thing in this big company where they're constantly in meetings and there's constantly pushback with different groups and there's constantly all these things going on. So how do I, how do I kind of help that go? How, 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 how do I help make that change? And collaboration was one of the, the most interesting things that I kind of had an idea of how we were going to do this, and it actually has done more than I expected, which has been great. So the first thing, um, this is a lesson from the design studio stages. Whiteboards, whiteboards, and more whiteboards. It's really simple. Uh, this is kind of a plug for a company. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're a company called Idea Paint. Um, I think uh, IDEO definitely uses them. Uh, I don't, I've seen some design agencies in San Francisco area that use them. You basically paint your walls with this paint and it settles after seven days and everything becomes a drawing surface. It's really, really good stuff. One of the problems I actually have at Yahoo is that there's not enough whiteboards and it drives me nuts. It's, it's like people start getting ideas and we want to start talking and you grab the marker and it's like, crap, you've got to go into a meeting room. Whatever you can do to make your environment have as many, many drawing, surfaces drawing surfaces as possible goes a large way to collaboration. Um, this computer here is a production tool. It's a true production tool. If you use Photoshop and Illustrator to draw creatively, you're kidding yourself that it's actually a drawing tool. Now, I'm one of the few people who can say this because I've you know, helped do the thing. I can tell you as, for a fact that when we designed Photoshop, we did not design it as a painting tool. Okay? In fact, Mark Hamburg was on record a lot of times saying, Photoshop's actually a pretty crappy painting tool. The other part about the computer and the drawing is a lot of you know, people coming through school, I think they get this notion that that's where the drawing, that's where the magic happens. It's actually not where the magic happens. The magic happens uh, you know, in here. It happens in your sketchbooks, it books, happens on the whiteboards, it happens out in the open. This tool here is nothing more than a production tool. It's just an execution machine. Further, the computer is a silo. The moment you sit down at your computer, you're working on your own, and you're not collaborating. So I have been trying to get the design team to understand that they need to get out of their computers and do more of the work in thinking outside, and then when they sit down, all they're doing is just making something happen really quickly because they've already got a sense of what they need to do. You gotta get people off the computer and onto the whiteboards as much as humanly possible. That's the first thing about collaboration. The second thing, um, is versions of, they're Dutch or Belgian? They're Dutch. Sofa, they've been bought by Sofa recently. So whoever these guys are, I want to meet them one of these days because they're my heroes. <laughs> the second thing, one of the other things about collaboration that I did is um, I made the designers at, at, on, our, on our team use source control. How many, here who, how many people here use source control? Bless you. <laughs> um, one of the great things about versions is that the way they designed it makes it actually, I think, a lot easier for design teams to, to use it. Uh, and if they are around, if anybody ever knows these guys or talks to them, you know, Yahoo just bought like a 250 license uh, for all the designers uh, there because I told them to. Um, so I'm not going to ask for a commission. I just want to ask for a couple of feature fixes. Um, the cool thing about source control is that it, it forces the design team to do two things. One is that you work a little bit more like an engineering team, which I think is important. The more you work like an engineering team, the more parity you have with your engineers is more important than you have with product management or marketing, in my opinion. It's execution at that stage. So first thing that happened is when I told the engineers I got my design team using source control, they were all like, what? How did you get that to happen? 
And I was like, I told them to do it. And they, they listened, it's like they don't have a choice. <laughs> um, the other thing about source, uh, source control and things like versions is it, is it has a really good impact on collaboration. So there's all kinds of like nuances of working with source control with binary files, like a Photoshop file or a PDF and things like that. It's slightly different than uh, text and code. Um, one of which is that you can actually have a lot of conflicts when you try to check something in that somebody else has worked on. So I remember the first time this happened uh, with the team. So we were going through source control and whatnot, and somebody asked, well, what happens when I try to check something in and there's a conflict because somebody else has updated it? And my answer was, get out of your chair, go over to that person, and ask them what they did. <laughs> Magically, that, that alone, that part alone, got them all talking again. You'd be surprised. Again, people get stuck on this computer, and they're like, their head is down, and nothing, they get their headphones on, nothing else exists. But source control works because it makes you work like an engineering team, makes you collaborate more, and it actually makes you plan and talk more together as a team. Um, the joke I kind of make is that it's a little, a little bit like living in a commune. So that's good and bad. So people have bad habits. They, you have to like, deal with them. Um, but you can get past those, and you can kind of get into it. But source control uh, really, really helped the design team get, get into, uh, into actually talking to each other again, which was fascinating to watch, um, in my opinion. The third one is uh, design reviews. So you have to make a design review as a, sa a safe place as possible. So what, what I've done on, on the team is we do a weekly design review. It's like about an hour long. And we kind of go over all the work the designers have done. And nobody else is allowed in the room. No product managers, no executives. No engineering, no QA, nobody. In doing that, it allows the team to actually be honest with each other. Like, that's crap. What were you thinking? Or that's really great. Can I, what would I do if I take this and go do something else with it? Um, that's been a great little process. And if you introduce any other people, we actually had product managers in a couple of them. It fucks it all up. Don't do that. You gotta find time for yourselves as a team large corporation or small, to actually get in a room and just be honest with each other. So those are the three things about collaboration that we've implemented on, on the team here that have really allowed uh, people to get out of their, their, their machines and kind of like in the silos and actually operate more like a team and working together. So fourth point is the standardization. Now this one sounds a little counterintuitive to folks sometimes. The first standardization rule, and this is going to may seem, may seem strange, may, may not. You may do it differently over here. You have to standardize your team's tools. So shared tools create shared files, which creates shared work. Now, I also am kind of in a unique position with this. I, I, I learned this one the hard way. So I've done this many different ways in many different teams. When I, but when I got to Yahoo and I took over the team this time, I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make those mistakes again. The mistake was simple. You know, you want everybody to you know, be, be creative. You want everybody to kind of just, you know, do what they want and use what they want. And if you, it, a lot of people think that if you just let designers just operate and use whatever tools they want, then they're going to be creative and, and all kinds of magic is going to happen. My experience is that that's actually not the case. So this time around, I told the design team, you're all going to use the same tool. As a manager, it's not fair for me to make you learn all the tools, so we're all going to pick one. And what I mean by this is that some of them are using Visio, some of them are using OmniGraffle, some are using Illustrator for their wireframing. Some are using Photoshop, some are using Fireworks. One person 
talked about Corel Draw, but that was not going to happen. <laughs> no offense to Corel, I love those folks over there. Actually, I know a few folks over there, but that was not going to happen. Um, and so, as I told the team, you know, look, you guys are at a disadvantage here. I'm one of the few guys on the planet whose job it was to actually know every single tool inside and out. That's how I did my work for 10 years. I, I literally can pick up any of these tools and I can use them. So it actually doesn't matter to me what tool you pick, but you're going to pick one. And that wound up being Photoshop in this case. It was a really big argument between fireworks and Photoshop. Photoshop ed eked out. Um, and I know that looks like a bias, but it's, it's not, trust me. Um, so the thing about shared, shared tools is that when everybody starts using the same tools, they can all share their work. And using source control, they can collaborate. And suddenly, magically, you're getting all this production. All this great stuff is happening. Less busy work is happening. More design is actually uh, starting to occur, and the production starts to, to, to kind of get streamlined and move along. So, and my apologies if, if, you know, I don't know if this is, not a, I don't think this is a Dutch, I don't think this is any place in Amsterdam, but when you walk around Amsterdam, you kind of see this, like all the buildings kind of lean. Um, my experience is that you start with one tool, and then once everybody learns it, once everybody kind of masters it, then you can add more. But you don't add multiples, you add one at a time. So one of the things that occurred is uh, some of the interaction designers on the team who were scared, they were scared out of their wits when I told them we were going to do this. They were like, ah, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to use Photoshop. Um, with all the other things that we were getting going with the collaboration part, uh, a lot of them were now starting to see Photoshop files that were built by the, the guys on the team who were really good at Photoshop and renderings. And they actually were able to pick up using the tool because their team members were all showing them how to use it. They can dissect the files. And within a matter of like a month or two, the two or three interaction designers who were just scared out of their wits that I was making them do this actually were, were doing really photorealistic renderings in Photoshop. And they had picked it up. Uh, now that they're starting to do that, we may start to introduce more tools. But standardizing on one tool, creating a shared set of files and a shared set of work, also has this nice benefit for the folks that, on your teams that are of uneven skill sets, it brings them up to everybody else's level. And it's really, it's, it's quite wonderful to see, in my opinion, when you see people who haven't had the, the time or the training to, to, to use these tools pick it up really quickly. So, as I said, my, in my experience, disparate skill sets, which is the biggest killer of, of large corporations and design, design teams, creates really uneven work. And that's, that's one of the problems you're trying to solve, in my opinion. So while it, sound, it, may sound, it sounds counterintuitive, standardizing tool sets and making your design teams actually use the same tool, along with things like collaboration, along with things like sketching, all that kind of stuff, just has a huge uh, lift. So the fifth point, structure. Um, I have this kind of saying that I say sometimes. I'm, I'm filled with sayings, I think. Um, one of them is that designers have a process. Designers don't use a process. And what I mean by that is that you've got to be very careful when you introduce processes into, into especially design activities, where the process doesn't become a kind of step one, step two, then step three, then step four. Designers, we all have the way we like to do things, or the way we kind of in, engage and interact with, with what we're trying to solve. Um, so we have processes. So what I try to say these days is I'm trying to create structure. I'm trying to design structure for the team so that it doesn't become a paint-by-numbers uh, approach. So a structure, in my opinion, just to kind of give you an analogy, kind of acts like a skeleton, like your body. It acts like a foundation for a house. It acts like scaffolding in a skyscraper. Structure is what allows you to wrap everything else around it. 
So what you're trying to do in a large corporation especially is not figure out what the process is. There's going to be lots of things that occur. But you're going to find out what's the right way to set up the environment, set up uh, you know, open, uh, uh, source control, set up the tool set, set up all these structural things so that the team can actually just live and, and breathe inside of that, that structure. Um, to that point, all design, uh, all design problems require specific design solutions. And you'll know that you've got the right structure in place when the design team is finding better solutions. So, you know, when there's less busy work and all that stuff going on, and you start to see really good solutions to the, the problems coming out, you've, you're, you know you're on the right path for having a good design, uh, a good structure in place. The best way to think about structure is, is everything I've told you up until now is the structure. Going for, for whiteboards and sketching, going for source control, going for a collaborative environment, uh, using pictures to, to get projects off the ground, um, uh, getting rid of busy work, uh, all those kinds of things. Those are the things that I think are the way of attacking the structure of the thing. The, the best thing about a, about a structure is, is, I don't know if anybody understands, does anybody here watch American football? NFL, does anybody know how it works? <laughs> I'm gonna try to give you an, a, an American football analogy because I love football. Was, we talked about it last night at dinner for like an hour and I think I spoke for 50 minutes of that. Um, so there's a guy in uh, the NFL called Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning is amazing at this. He's, he's been playing for, he's the quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. He won the Super Bowl like two or three years ago. Peyton Manning, so football, you get, the, you get your playbook and you understand what you're gonna run. You're gonna run a running play, you're gonna do a screen, you're gonna throw down deep, whatever. When the quarterback gets up to the play, after he's called it in the huddle, he then gets a chance to see what the defense is doing. So Peyton Manning is beautiful at this. He, he's studied so much tape and he's played football for so long and then when he gets up to the, up to the line, he can see what the, the defense is doing and he'll step back and he'll yell out, he'll call what's called an audible. He'll change the play right there. In my opinion, a good structure is actually like a good playbook. It's not a process, it's not step one, step two, step three. It's about setting everything up and then yet, it's flexible enough that when the designer gets there and they see something and they, they know they need to do something slightly different, like let's say, use fireworks, they can. It's not gonna disrupt things because there's a, a structure in place to get back into the groove and get back into what you've planned based on your playbook. Does everybody kind of get that? Um, like I said, it's kind of an American analogy, but that's the one I like to use. So a good structure is like a good playbook. It really provides that, that skeleton, provides that basis to do the work, and then you can actually switch it up in real time when you discover you need to make a change. So that's point number five. So the first point was pictures. Everything starts with a picture, in my opinion. It gives you accountability and credibility. Second one was busy work. Eliminate it, get rid of it. If you've got design deliverables that don't go through the whole process, you have to find a way to nuke them. Um, the third one is collaborate, whiteboards, source control, design reviews where it's just the designers, create a, a, an environment where people can actually talk to each other more often. Um, fourth one was standardize, you know, make everybody use the same tools, not because it's the, the only way to do it, but because by doing so, everybody can share work more. And then the, the last point is that all of that is about structure, making, making sure the environment and all the, the rules you've set up is not a process. It's not a step-by-step -step process, but it's just the approach. The last thing um, I'm gonna talk about is prototypes. 
So for a long time, I remember when I was out here in 2007 for the first one, I remember talking to you about jQuery when it just first showed up. So prototyping is finally, finally after all these years, getting, getting uh, where it needs to be in, in our industry. Um, I'm gonna give you a quick story uh, about my biggest career mistake that I think I ever made. Um, and it actually happened back at Adobe back in the day. So early in the 90s, you know, Macromedia Director was a big thing, HyperCard was a big thing. I used to do all kinds of scripting and I always used to have fun. That was, to me, that was the most fun about the design process was actually building something that actually sort of worked, uh, even, if, even if it was a simulation. When I got to Adobe, about three months in, I did my three concept sketches about what Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign, uh, what became InDesign, PageMaker, um, could look like. And I started to build a director prototype. Um, making the menus work, making the palettes move around. It was all a simulation, but I wanted to really come up with this cool way of showing the executives what I was trying to do. And one of the product managers uh, came around, and she didn't mean this. I mean, she didn't mean it this way. She didn't mean any harm. Um, but what happened was, she was looking over my shoulder as I was doing this, and she's like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm making a prototype of what this is all gonna look like. And then I showed her, I walked her through all this really cool stuff that I was doing, and she said, wow, that's really cool, but why are you doing that? I said, what do you mean, why am I doing that? This is what I do. <laughs> this is my job. Um, she's like, yeah, that's really nice, but you know what? Our schedules are so fast here. You're probably not gonna have time to do this for everything that you work on. And I was 25 at the time. Um, and I thought about it. I was like, well, she, she's probably right. Biggest mistake ever. Um, she didn't mean anything. She wasn't a designer. She was a, you know, a product manager. She didn't mean any harm by it, but I actually listened to her. And unfortunately, what that did was, is, is I started the design team at Adobe. I was actually the first interface designer on record at Adobe. And they didn't have a design team before I showed up. So I was actually starting the design culture, and I started it off on the wrong foot, in my opinion, when I look back on it, because I didn't instill building prototyping as, as kind of a, a process to, and a tool to use back at the company. It's now since changed. But um, I cannot stress that prototyping, no matter what you do, is the final piece of the puzzle that will allow you to make big impact changes. So I'm gonna sh real quickly show you um, something here. This is very, very brief. So this is, how's that look up there? This is markup and CSS from the prototype we built of the new Yahoo Mail. We're using a technology called Mustache. If you've never heard of it, it's actually very cool. Um, but basically what we did is we coded all the, the markup and then CSS and all the assets. And what we did with that is we built this guy. So as you can see from the screenshot that I showed you earlier, this is the beginnings of a prototype. Uh, so we can just test out and play with ideas. We can do things like make sure we have all the commands we want and make it look the way we want. And when you click on a message, have it load and show in high details and present stuff in line. And just kind of, you know, something you can click around and play with and please don't take pictures of that. <laughs> just kidding. Um, and, you know, just to click around and kind of get a sense of, of what the, the new design is going to look like. Uh, and this wound up being extremely useful uh, for the team. Uh, that was a mistake. I clicked on the wrong thing. Um, and this became uh, extremely useful for the team because what happened was is that we were able to start playing with uh, the flows and, and some of the other pieces that are there to the point now where this is the actual product. So this is the beta. 
that will go live very soon now. Um, and as you can see, as I look around this, it is, uh, you know, it works and it looks very similar to this. The reason is, is because it's using the exact same markup, because the design team is doing the markup, it's using the exact same CSS, so no longer the design team has to go to an engineer and say, will you move that two pixels? And the engineer looks at them like, are you crazy? Um, now the designers actually have to do that. And the trick is that this time around, I started at Yahoo last October, and I took over the design team in January. We rebuilt, I took a team of 20 people who had not done this, they actually were responsible for the ones that you've seen before. And just by changing the way they do the work, making them do all the things I just talked about, literally, I actually didn't do the design, but I was actually able to free them up to do the things they actually wanted to do better. And everything from redoing the iconography, they had control now. They actually felt like they're having an impact. And it just snowballs. It just snowballs beyond belief. We did all of this in six months, which is what a consultancy does. Now, having said all that, when you get the beta, it is a beta, okay, just so we're clear. It's not perfect, and we've got a long way to go at Yahoo. Um, as I'm sure a lot of you have lots of opinions about that, I've got my own, and I'm not gonna say anything so that I don't get in trouble with my boss on Twitter when I get back to, to Sunnyvale. But, but, but the point is, is that by doing all the things I just said, and if you drop any of these things, if you drop anything, like the source control, if you drop the whiteboards, if you drop any, if you don't do all of it, you're not gonna get the results. You have to do actually all the things that I'm talking about to get large corporations to change, because what you're doing in designing the design team is you're getting all the crap out of the way of the people that are actually doing the work. And then actually you'll discover that they, they can really move fast and do a lot of things differently. So that's my talk. <laughs> um, I'll take five minutes of questions and I uh, thank you for your time. I think we've got our first question. Uh, thank you for the talk. It was very nice. Um, the, I have a question about the prototyping. Yes. Uh, is the prototyping al already uh, cross-browser compatible? Yes. So one of the things we did is we, we did a, a progressive CSS approach, I mean a progressive um, markup approach, where uh, everything we did, so like all the gradients and all the drop shadows and all that stuff is all CSS-based. There's no graphics. It's all um, much cleaner markup. And that was also one of the reasons why I was able to do the, the project with, uh, with the folks there is that making the markup smaller was uh, allowing us to go to markets like in India and Indonesia with the same, with the same pieces. Um, so, so we did that and we also tested the major browsers, but we didn't test all of them. So we, we, we were kind of backfilling Internet, Internet Explorer 6, fixing things for Internet Explorer 6. And hopefully that will die very soon, which it's going to. That's weird. Where's my camera, by the way, before I forget? <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, by the way. Yes. Okay. Hi. Um, I wonder uh, if you um, did any paper prototyping and uh, how do you feel about it? <laughs> you're, you're trying to get me in trouble, aren't you? <laughs> so I've had this discussion with guys like Jared Spool and some other folks as well. I think paper prototyping is misnamed. It's a misnomer, in my opinion. The person who came up with the name I don't think she intended it this way either. Paper prototyping to me is not prototyping. It's sketching. So things, um, the sketching phase is great. So my, my research, when you like, the long nose uh, talk was really good, I thought. I tend to like try to spend as much time on research as possible, then some sketching, 
then a little bit of time in production, and then prototyping. And we try to cycle all that through, it, through the thing. Um, to me, paper prototyping is part of the research and sketching phase. The word prototyping, when you say prototype and you give it to an engineer and you give them paper, they look, like, they look at you like you're crazy. To that point, in Silicon Valley, engineers are building products in like two or three months now. The technology is flattened. So you, if you call it paper prototyping, I think you're, you're doing yourself a disservice because it actually is a sketching. It's a design exercise. Prototyping tends to be more about building it for real to a certain degree to test it if it actually is going to work, work. And I don't think paper prototyping sufficiently does that. It's, it's very useful, but I, don't, I, just, I would just call it sketching, in my opinion. I, by calling it a prototype, I think you, you might get yourself into a little bit of trouble. I can explain much more after this. <laughs> I think we've got one more over there. Hi. Um, do you use your design library uh, or design pattern library in the design process or in your communication within the company? Another person is trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> um, I actually was talking to somebody. Somebody here knows Christian Crumlich. Uh, um, he and I had this discussion about this as well, too. I don't like the word pattern, design patterns. Um, to my point is it's not called a steering pattern. It's called a steering wheel. So patterns are kind of useful, but you've got to be careful with them because they, they can be... Um, they can, they can be limiting in, in, in what they do. So we have design assets. We have things that we reuse. But I try to get people not to stick to the, this is the, the sign-in pattern. Um, because I think that every sign-in problem is slightly different. So we have things that we use in that process, but we don't, we don't co codify or, or turn it into a pattern. Um, that's my opinion about that, though. So they can be very useful. I just don't like to use them too much. I think we've got uh, one more here and then one more there, and I'm not sure will we have time for one more. We'll try. Got quite a short question. Uh, could you be sharing the presentation with us, except without the coming soon part, I will, of course? I will, I will post it. I actually I can post uh, most of it on SlideShare. I didn't, I'm not a big fan of PowerPoint or Keynote anymore. I try to avoid them, so I just make pictures. You've got but yeah, some I nice can, photos up there. So yeah, the, no, I, the photos, I'll, I'll, posters. I didn't, I didn't get a chance to do it yet, but I will, uh, I will uh, compile them and put them either on my website, designbyfire.com, not .nl, or I'll put it on SlideShare. And then uh, I'll tweet about it. And you can find me at, at Trenti. Um, I'm not even going to explain to you what Trenti means. <laughs> Hi. Yes. Uh, I have a question. Um, how do you counter uh, management trying to influence your design? All the things I just talked about, all the things, that, all, this is a very good question, all the things I just talked about, you'll, you'll be surprised. The moment you do all of them, the moment you, you make posters or you get the team collaborating or you get people making pictures or you get people making prototypes, like magic, most of the people that cause problems in large corporations, they just disappear. Um, they don't go away entirely, but be careful. I don't want to get in too much trouble. Um, they don't go away entirely, but by doing all these things and getting the level of quality up and having uh, a large team get the quality of the design up, the, the people that have problems, they'll just, uh, they'll just be quiet because you're, you're becoming more accountable and you're doing more things. So it looks like we have a very strange... <laughs> <laughs> Hello. I guess the new Corolla. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> uh, 
should I stay upstage or? <laughs> I'm gonna get down. <laughs>